Where are you going? I've got to return some videotapes. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the video store. You are listening to Late Fees, a podcast where we run your favorite filmmakers and films through the gauntlet to determine whether they still check out or whether it's time to put that shit back on the shelf. I am Justin, your, your host, and I have my other uh, host with me today. Unfortunately, we are missing one, but Eric and Pat, how are you guys doing? Yo. We are good. We are in October. We are officially in October. I'm going to hit a button and have like bats yeah, and yeah. thunderstorms. The belfry button. Coffin creaking open. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, evil laugh. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, or just a couple seconds ago, Wes is actually in line waiting to watch the new Halloween movie right now. Uh, it is like the Phantom Menace all over again. Special shout out to Wes. Uh, hold those seats for us. Uh, and, and speaking of Halloween, the next time we come to you guys, we will be reviewing the new movie. Uh, that we, It comes out the weekend of the movie, I believe, yeah, in yeah. our next episode. Yeah. We'll, be remo- we'll be reviewing the movie. We'll have seen it, and we're actually going to be talking about the Halloween series. So stay tuned for the episode in two weeks after this episode drops. <clears throat> yeah, there are a shitload of Halloween movies. Uh, we're going to go ahead and say watch as many and any of them uh, as yeah. you can. Uh, there's a lot to cover that we will and won't end up talking about, but we... It's kind of a crapshoot. We could be discussing anything. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. And then following that, we've got our... We have, after that, <clears throat> the Halloween episode, we have the... or the Halloween series episode, we have our Halloween episode. And what I'm going to do, I think we agreed to this last time, we're going to ask Twitter. We're going to ask our fans yeah, yeah, yeah. what we should watch for that episode. Make us watch the Busta Rhymes Halloween. <laughs> Say we need to rewatch that one and do it. Give it its that's probably own the only, episode. That's probably the only one I'm gonna watch. Uh, that one and the and the Paul Rudd one. There's, I, I only follow the. I'm like you know. I, I'm you like, only follow the ones that mean a lot to you, yeah, buddy. Yeah. yeah. With, with like into like I don't follow basketball, but I follow LeBron wherever he goes. I follow Paul Rudd and Buster Rhymes. Wait, so you're, you're a Laker fan now? I have to be. Oh, it's lit then. We're going yeah. to a game with the Lakers. Lakers. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, lit, but yeah, we're we're today. Gonna, yeah. Oh, they played today, right? Yeah. No, well, they played yesterday. Yesterday. Uh, what are you saying today for? Today, well, we have to, we have uh, a guy who I think has the best horror name for a director possible. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Wes Craven. But before yeah. we get into Wes Craven, it was a big weekend. What did you guys watch? Oh, uh, well, I watched the Wes Craven movies, and then I watched – today I watched Hold the Dark. Well, I think we all watched yeah. Hold the Dark this yeah. week. Uh, Which sort of qual- – this is a spooky little movie. Yeah, yeah. Hold the Dark is a good uh, October movie. Uh, we're recording this on October 1st officially, so it's that mm. season. Uh, very atmospheric and – Very and, violent. And macabre <laughs> and brooding in a way that I, I don't do well with horror movies. I'm sort of the odd man out of the uh, Late Fees crew. These guys love horror, and it's well, well documented that I do not. I don't know if Pat uh, loves horror. I think Pat is horror. He is a horror. <laughs> he, he is a horror. Um, but yeah, um, the Hold the Dark, which is uh, Jeremy Saulnier's third feature. Um, third feature with Megan Blair. With Megan Blair attached. Um, uh, following the revenge thriller of Blue Ruin and then the neo-Nazi punks 
fuck off movie Green Room, which was one of my favorite movies of 2015. And then now he's got a Netflix film called uh, Hold the Dark with Jeffrey Wright. And, Netflix uh, really throwed the, threw the bag out for this. Yeah, one too. and actually, I think Blue Ruin uh, was Netflix. Also, they didn't they didn't fund it, uh, but they did. I think it, they did distribute it. They got first. Yeah, they have an interesting relationship with them because I know Macon Blair, who co-wrote this film, and who's in he's sort of like the Leonardo to um, uh, Sonier's uh, to, uh, Scorsese, Scorsese. Excuse me. Um, yeah, they're attached to all these films, and he's written like random stuff for, for Netflix, but. Uh, Jeremy Saulnier, uh, who was attached to direct all of season two, season three of True Detective, <laughs> who dipped, who he dipped yeah, down he after two quit. episodes. Yeah, yeah. we so, were so upset about that over he, here at Late Fees. He fucking whips ass, and the movie is really good. It's slower and a little more uh, ambitious than what we're used to by him. But like, that guy can shoot the hell out of uh, wilderness, gunfights, and brutality. And people's break, people's break. fucking faces exploding. Yeah, right? Great cast, great very cast. crazy. I saw White Boy Rick. The Matthew McConaughey movie <laughs> on on uh, Saturday. Just your tone tells me you weren't that big of a fan. It was white. It was a white movie. How were the non-whites? There were, you know what? Ryan I Tyree Taylor or uh, Henry. Why am I butchering names today? <laughs> Ryan Tyree but, Henry is in it. Yeah, Paperboy does not miss. Uh, he he plays a cop though. So it's kind of yeah. He plays a cop. In the Eric movie. just dry heaved. <laughs> <laughs> what? Cut the podcast is over. I, uh, I thought I thought YG was phenomenal. Was he? That, that the, was that was he what was, I was. He asking. was really good in it. I I think that the first half of the movie works for me a lot better than the second half when he finally when like when the shit finally hits the fan. Gotcha. Uh, the first half is him basically being indoctrinated with these black people and becoming kind of like their white friend. Yeah. And, but there's a part where they're like you know. You don't get white time. You get black time. He gets picked mm-hmm. up by the by the cops, and he's just like, you know, if you're gonna do some crazy bullshit, don't do it around us because we're gonna get different time than you. And I thought that yeah. was the most poignant mm-hmm. moment in the film. And then the movie jettisons all the black people out of the film. They all go to jail yeah. in the second half, and it's really just a family drama. And it was like the movie wasn't really sold on the family drama; it was sold on the kingpin aspect. Yeah. yeah, and there's very little of the kingpin aspect in the movie. So when you get to the family drama, all you're left with is the injustice aspect. And now, if you guys don't know the history of it. Rick actually, he didn't sell everyone up the river, but he, he kind of like, he helped the, the, uh, the government basically bust up the, the, uh, the mayor of Detroit and stuff like that. And he, he was told he wasn't going to get a life sentence for selling, but they ended up giving him a life sentence anyway. He actually got out two years ago, I think. Yeah. Um, but the injustice the aspect of it, yeah, Rick got out. Yeah, the kid, yeah. But the injustice aspect wasn't played up enough for me for it to work. I yeah. felt like the movie tonally was all over the place. Yeah. Like it was a comedy at some point. Is like, it funny? There are funny parts. I yeah. think Matthew McConaughey is really good in playing himself and chewing scenery, and I yeah. felt like that's why he picked the, the role the role of his father. But I mean, in the end, I thought it was just, it was middle of the road. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, a good antidote to that is a movie that I also watched this weekend called Hollywood Shuffle, the 1987 uh, Robert Townsend movie, where it's literally. It's a satire of everything we're talking about now, like representation yeah. and, and um, how Hollywood reduces the, the vibrant black experience to like a cliched monolith. And it's like – it is like of the Mel Brooks traditions, very broad and self-aware and there's you know, there's a moment where he, he's, he's only getting callbacks for, to play like pimps and criminals and slaves. So like he has like a dream sequence where he starts like the black acting school where it's white people – teaching black people how to be like better slaves and better, <laughs> better pimps and drug dealers for film. And it's like, you know, he wrote it with Keenan Ivory Wayans who, you know, would go on to make a career lampooning that stuff with a, uh, and living color. But yeah, I rewatched it recently or I rewatched it this weekend just, uh, and it just still hits really hard. Yeah. It's really fucking great. All right. 
So that was what we were watching. Uh, let's get into Wes Craven. Yeah, let's w- get Wes it. Wes Craven, who a lot of people would consider to be a, a fucking master of horror. Uh, he was born in uh, August 2nd, 1939. He uh, passed away three years ago, August 30th. Pouring some out for him right now. Pour, pour some liquor out for, for the homie. He died at uh, age 76 from brain cancer, which just terrible, terrible moment when, when that, you know, we all found out. I didn't out. Even know he was sick. I knew he was old, but I didn't know he would. I don't think we had even seen him for a yeah. while. He hadn't, his last movie was Scream 4. Yeah. Like he didn't make a movie for seven, six years. And that came out in 11? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It did. came out in uh, 2011. He, he actually did. made a cameo in, in the movie as well, a yeah. deleted scene. Uh, his, I think his name, but name only, was attached to the Scream MTV series. Yeah, one episode. Yeah. Or one season, I think. Um, uh, but we're, I mean, really, that, what, what is more, like, what is left to say about someone who really created a lot of different genres of horror, whether it be, uh, I mean, slasher films is where he kind of cut his teeth at. But yeah. he also had, like, cultural horror movies that had something to do with the environment, when Hills Have Eyes, which we'll speak about. And uh, he, he has stuff to do with, like, the, the revenge porn type stuff that, yeah. that plays in uh, Last House on the Level, which we'll also speak about. Uh, but then I think he really came into his own in the 80s, where it was kind of like a formative year. I mean, Halloween had already come out. Uh, but then he made his own kind of genre w- within Nightmare on Elm Street. It was a different kind of slasher movie. Mm. It was a slasher movie that kind of played on the psychological more than the, the physical, just straight what's in your face. Yeah. And it was a it was a movie that kind of played with your perceptions and your anticipation and expectation of what a horror movie, a horror movie could be. And it, it was supernatural in ways too that Halloween yeah. and, and Friday hadn't really touched on. Yeah, absolutely. Yet, yeah. And and then in the nineties, he reinvented himself again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the all time reinventions, I would say. Like his propensity to blend genre and dabble with with format and and tone, sort of. Uh, revealed itself in some of the best films of any genre mm-hmm. through multiple years of the 90s. Uh, we can get into that, but um, everything from, you know, Scream to Vampire in Brooklyn yeah, um, and Scream 2, that still made the cut in the 90s. Like, he really, uh, I think, used the 80s as a launch pad to, to, to carve out his lane as like, oh, this guy is one of the greats now instead of like a, a, a promising director, if that makes sense. All right, so the first movie we're gonna <clears throat> we're gonna touch on, <clears throat> Last House on the Left. Uh, it came out in 1972. His debut, right? His debut. Well, Together uh, from 1971 was his first movie, but uh, Last House on the Left was his second, and mm-hmm. that came out a year after in 1972. It was produced by it was directed by himself and produced by Sean Cunningham, who will go on to do the Friday Thirteenth films. Uh, it is pretty much like a they call it an exploitation movie. But I really like to say it's like a revenge movie. Like I, it's it's really like I spit on your grave type shit toward the end of this movie. Yeah. Um, it's basically about uh, two teenage girls who are taken into the woods and tortured by a, a bunch of basically gangsters, mm-hmm. uh, and they they the gangsters end up meeting her her uh, her parents and her parents seek revenge on them after they find out what they've done. And the last half of this movie is absolutely batshit insane. I will say that much. Like yeah. it's it's it is a it's totally it's a weird movie. It's all because it, it, it has like these bumbling, like idiot criminals who like you think the girls would never <laughs> yeah. fall for that shit anyway, but they end up doing it anyway. Pat, and Pat, you watch this movie. What did you feel about it? 
Uh, I will be honest. I really don't like this movie. It is a bad uh, movie. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't think it's good in like filmmaking aspects. And I think I, I, I'm still reading through it. This may have been his directorial debut. Yeah. He may have produced together. I think he produced together. together uh, yeah. right. Sorry about but that. But no, no, I mean, either way, first movie, second movie, it's not technically an especially proficient movie. Uh, and I think because of that, the content of the movie uh, is is really bad. Yeah. Uh, um, just like here's here's the thing with like stuff like this, like I get it, and like who doesn't want to see somebody like extracting revenge on someone who deserves it? It's awesome, uh, but this stuff just feels like really sadistic to me. Like this, it's like a snuff film. At yeah, times. There, like there is a I think one of the biggest scenes that people. There's an uncut version of this that kind of I think believe I believe it cuts it out. Uh, there's a part where did you see this when she digs her hand into yeah. her stomach? Yeah, that's what I saw. That's one of my least favorite parts. It was just it was pointless. Yeah, and even like when it gets to the the revenge aspect of the movie, like once the torture porn part for the good guys is over and like it turns to like the bad guys, yeah, it just. It's not fun. Like, it's, there's no, like, self-awareness to the movie at all. Obviously, it's not going to be fun because of the content, but there's no, like, it's not thrilling because it doesn't yeah. have the awareness. It just feels, like, designed to be mean. It's yeah. a little bit like what we talked about with uh, the tree rape scene and in Evil, Evil Dead. Dead, but it, I don't think it's done. Like, that scene I don't think is handled particularly well the in rape modern scene context. Either. And, yeah, the multiple, I guess, rape scenes in Last House on the Left are right. just... I, I really don't like this movie, and I don't like movies like this movie. Yeah, and it, it is. It, it really <clears throat> seems like a movie that would could only be made in the seventies. Yes. Was like, <laughs> but what, but yeah. I mean, it was remade in two thousand nine. But uh, I thought the remake was actually very good. I haven't seen it. The remake had Aaron Paul in it. Yeah, that's who I crazy. Thought was really, really good. Is Jennifer Lawrence in it? No, I think you're it's thinking like her, of... It's like, it's like the Bryce Dallas Howard of Jessica Chastain. Whoever that is for Jennifer Lawrence. Yes, yeah, that's a her. harsh critique for whoever's in this movie, so I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, it, it, this movie also, the, the original, was one of the first publicly infamous movies for being like just levied with heavy censorship. Yeah. Um, this went through the ringer as far as like things that uh, the MPAA, whatever it was called back in the 70s, it wasn't that. Um, was like we're going to remove these scenes and it's and then I, th- I think the distributor I don't know if it was MGM it, w- it was some subsidiary of a studio like really leaned into it they're like this is the the horror movie that the the, the, stu- the suits don't, <laughs> don't, don't want you to see it's <laughs> yeah. on the cover it's on the poster yeah yeah <clears throat> and like yeah and then that's that's the bummer of it all because Wes Craven would be known as the more sensitive and uh, enlightened and you know to use colloquial terms, woke directors, the older he got, especially in the late nineties and early two thousands. Um, so that he started off as like sort of a, a rape revengeist, um, uh, a filmmaker, which like, you know, sucks. And, 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 it's, and it's disappointing because it, I, when I rewatched it, I don't like it either. It, it is, it is a nasty mean spirited little film. But like you think, because you watch it through a modern lens, and you're like, "Oh wait, this is Wes. He's gonna like, this is gonna, he's gonna put a, a spin on it. Like, yeah. He's not gonna like fall into these old tropes of like, this sexually torturing women for that sake." But the movie just becomes that. And like, yeah, there is like somewhat of a comeuppance 
uh, for the perpetrators of these disgusting acts. But like, yeah, it, it is like the tired, um, well-trodden territory of like using the death of young girls and br- brutally sadistic torture of young girls to catalyze the rest of the movie. And yeah, it's a bummer. There is a lot of stuff in it. I will say that he does better later. What is it? I, sorry. No, 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 no. What does this movie say? Like I, I just, I, after I watched it, I was like, what does no, this movie that, that, say? Well, that's the thing. I, it, it, it does boil down to an exploitation film. It is meant to shock. We and, could make this if what it says. <laughs> and I don't, that's yeah. like, maybe like, it's a grindhouse movie. Yeah. Like, and, at the time, you know, 40, 35, 45, whatever the fuck, years ago, mm-hmm. 45 years ago, if you make one of those, like, I understand how one of them can be, like, a paradigm-shifting, yeah. maybe even a justifiably necessary type of thing to make. Mm-hmm. But We had already had a long tradition yeah, of that. we were already movies like this. This was kind of, like, Especially in mainstreaming this type of thing right. a little bit. And I don't – clearly, it never really mainstreamed, like – the Hills Have Eyes, which we're going to talk about next, is probably like the most mainstream example of mm-hmm. movies like this. Mm-hmm. And he does a lot of the same stuff better in Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. Uh, but there's not – I don't think there is – there's no artistic point to it mm-hmm. and there's no like fun point to it. No. And yeah, it's like smut for smut's Yeah, sake. it's smut. I, I mean, think it's smutty. There are hella alternative versions of this movie. Of the original Hell, yeah, of the original seventy two movie. There's scenes that have the the intestine part cut. That's why I was wondering, yeah. if, like you had seen the intestines parts. Uh, there's there's uh, certain lines that are cut and changed in certain uh, yeah. versions. Basically, from what I'm seeing, there is no real uncut version of this movie that exists. Uh, I think a lot of people would, would be better to just keep this one on the shelf. I don't, yeah, I don't no, think it's a I, I don't agree. think it's a good movie. I mean, if you've got to watch a movie like this, which you don't, <laughs> if you do. Watch like Cannibal Holocaust. Or yeah, something. like really go for yeah, it. Yeah, at least Cannibal Holocaust <laughs> is like goofy as fuck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like I know like Eli Roth, who I've lost all interest in basically. Same. But when he was making um, Green, uh, Green, Green Inferno, Green, Green Inferno. Inferno, we saw that. We yeah. saw that. Yeah. Was it terrible? It, uh, yeah, it's a bad it, movie. Well, yeah. like ultimately now, like looking back, because like the the uh, it's really xenophobic, probably. Well, right. Like. Well, yeah. Well, like he like pat himself on the back for like. We like went and spent all this time with the true indigenous uh, community, and like they'd never seen a camera before. So we like taught them how to use cameras. And you showed them Cannibal Holocaust. And yeah, they yeah. said they thought it was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> what a psychopath! But like the the driving force, like the engine of this movie, is like punishing SJWs. Like yeah, yeah. It was like the kids were like there. The, um, there was like an environmentalist college group who uh, you know a bunch of like shit libs like wanted to go like protest like a, the demolishing of the inferno of the Amazon and like. You know, they're just like all hashtag this. Like he like had this like really reductive view of social media, which like ten percent accurate, uh, <laughs> but nine percent wrong. Um, but like that's who suffers the most. It's like this is what these kids get for caring and like being uh, pretentious, you know, college liberal elites about it. So would you say that we gave Green Inferno a mixed review? In <laughs> <laughs> classic Eric um, parlance, mixed reviews. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Justin and I saw that at the fucking uh, Chinese theater, and there was like a ten-year-old with his parents behind us, and I'm just like chomping on popcorn. Yeah, like giddy as hell, like as like a woman is being like dismembered and like genital mutilation is going down. I'm like, I, I, I'm more disturbed by the kid behind me than what's happening on the fucking. Yeah, screen. yeah. Uh, or that, watch like I spit on your grave if you have to. Like, isn't she yeah. at least the one getting revenge? Yes, yeah, in she that is. movie, she's the one getting revenge in that movie. Uh, the penis biting. 
I in Last in, House or in, in uh, oh, there, there's something with the penis. I thought no, no, it is. The it dick is fighting in my, is in, last, in house. last House. You're right. There is something with a dick, and I spit in your grave. That's gonna Tell be on a t-shirt. It. That's gonna be on a t-shirt. There's something with a dick. <laughs> and I spit on your grave. Yeah. <laughs> there's something with a dick. Uh, so yeah, I agree with you. I yeah. said Last House. Keep Leave it, it on, on the, the shelf. shelf. And I, I guarantee you, and you know, all respect to the king. If he was still with us, Wes Craven would be like. Yeah, you don't need to see that. Shit. Oh yeah, he 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 has interviews where he said he went too far. Yeah, he, yeah, he strikes me as the kind of conscious guy, perceptive guy, especially when you see his later body of work. Be like, yeah, I was like a fucking twenty-four year old who wanted to shock people. Probably like, high on coke. Yeah, like that. That holds no sort of cultural capital anymore. And yeah, I'm not proud of that. I, I guarantee you'd say some shit like that. So yeah, put that shit back on the shelf, baby. So next up, we got 1977's "The Hills Have Eyes." Uh, it was written by Wes Craven, uh, directed by him as well. Uh, it is about a family, the, uh, the Carter family. They are targeted by... Carter a, 5, certified classic. Speaking of Carter the Carter... Five on the internet Wayne. now. It's not in stores. Well, Wayne's back, baby. Uh, we, ha- actually have a, uh, we actually have somebody off, off screen, off mic here. Uh, I, I, my young ward, Cam. <laughs> What's up, Cam? Camuel. Cam is deep <laughs> off my name that I've been doing before. Camuel. Camuel. How do you feel about the Carter Five, Cam? I like the Carter Five. I like Wayne as a as a whole, but Carter Five was a surprise, honestly, considering where he where his career had been at the past, like yeah. the yeah. past years. ten years. Yeah, since Best. basically the Carter Four up till now. So to see Wayne actually deliver on a body of work this good, I agree. And like I know Carter Two is is. It's the pinnacle. A lot of people. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people. It's I think because it's the most commercial. Yeah. So when I compare it to the Carter Two, I think. Yeah. Well, Carter Two was the most lyrical. I thought it had the more. Most that was commercial. Carter Three. Carter Three had lollipop. Yeah, Amelie and. Okay, Tom let me let me rephrase. Not. Carter Three was the most pop sensibility yeah. crossover. Yeah. Well, I mean commercial. I meant um, accessible as far as like he was making fairly quote unquote street anthems still, but yeah. they were. Over very lush beats, digestible and, yeah, by people yeah, who yeah. hated the South. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, exactly. It was, I think it was like it, is like yeah. a prime example of that. Yeah, yeah. you don't get yeah. the basics. Yeah. yeah, it was like an appeal to like New York. Yeah, uh, listeners to rapper racists. Yeah, rapper racists. But um, when I compared Carter Five to it, I just felt like this felt like lucid for Wayne. Like Wayne has sort of been sort of uh, meandering and, and sort of unpredictable in these late, latter years, and for good reason. He's gotten fucked over more than fucking. Everybody, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, by the by the DNC. Uh, I'm just kidding. Speaking of speaking of fucking Are we Carter, no, I mean cool. We can go on tangents if we want to. Carter Five is great. Go get it. Carter Five is great. No, long story short, it's actually surprisingly great. Yeah, Ma- Ma- Michael Berryman, aka Pluto, in this movie looks like Birdman. Oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> he, well, he like does. Birdman. Yeah, that's true. He you pull up a, a picture of him. He looks like Birdman. He's got the five-star um, on his head. He'll <laughs> uh, be sweet. Yeah. But speaking of which, uh, the Carter family, no relation, uh, is, is targeted by cannibals uh, in the Nevada desert. They kill the fucking father in this movie, and they attempt to eat the baby. And the, uh, the, the family, or what's left of them after the attack, they have to find the baby and get everybody back and uh, basically save the child. This is a wild movie. A lot of the themes of like revenge and stuff like that are still yeah. prevalent yeah. in this movie. Uh, they are handled, like Pat said, uh, they are handled a lot better than they are in Last House of the Left. Uh, but th- there's also kind of like an, an and I and I, say, I, I, was, I wrongly said this was environmental. The remake is more environmental, way more, yeah. way more than this. So I I I I, I, I kind of I like the re I like the remake. Zombies. 
It's not zombies. The, the remake has to do with a nuclear fallout. No, Rob Zombie. No, no, he, no, he, no, he no, did. No. He remade Halloween. He remade Halloween. Halloween. Didn't Rob Zombie do Hilltop Eyes the remake? No. no someone it was, did, it someone was like just like some guy, I think. I could have sworn Rob Zombie had something to do with one of them. I re- he was or is it was that the devil's rejects? That was devil's that was rejects. rejects. See off my king, the young, yeah, yeah, yeah. The young ward, yeah. <laughs> filling in for West yeah. today. Look, hey, look, we we all we often make mistakes, and we usually have a, a young stenographer in the corner checking us when we're wrong. So uh, the Hills of Eyes was uh, uh, Alexandra Aja who did High Tension. Gotcha. Okay, High Tension is good. High Tension, yeah, High Tension is really good. Well, hey, you, that's a foreign movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected. I think uh, before we really get into it, and I, you guys are far more um, uh, knowledgeable about this. I, I'm more, I'm more hip to the to the '90s craving that because I, I uh, really fell in love with a ton of movies that we'll get into. But uh, I think this is also a noticeable improvement in technical proficiency um, as far as him growing as a director and saying like, okay, he can actually has some some authority, but with camera work and tone and atmosphere yo more so than just like i'm gonna do go blood and gore it's he, better. he was making them motherfuckers run yeah there are scenes uninterrupted scenes of these people running yeah. on rocks <laughs> this would have been in the ass to shoot <laughs> yes. uh, i think it's definitely better than last house on the left but i think even by the time he gets to uh nightmare the first one mm-hmm. i think it's like a different guy making the movies I, and it's that's budgetary certainly sure, as sure. well but there are some parts even of Hills Have Eyes, which, again, big improvement over Last House, uh, that I'm like, this is just a little, like... Sure. They it, kill a dog in this movie. Not a big fan yeah, of that. Yeah, that's a lot of... That's a, that's a horror ton of trope. For me. Yeah, that's like the, when the dog dies, like, that's... And everybody's it, screwed. Yeah, it's, it's a horror trope to kill a dog and also a prestigious A24 drama trope. Yeah. Uh, but shout out to Good Time for not killing the, the pit bull. Uh, more rape in this movie. But right. less less glorified. Yeah, like, it's still like rape is still like the hardest thing to do in in, in entertainment. Yeah. Shocker. <laughs> uh, but it's it's not. I don't want to say the last house like outright glorifies it. Other than the fact that like the whole crazy ass movie is based on like really prolonged sequences of it. But in this, it's the opposite. Like the it's more implied than anything else. I mean, obviously, it's still pretty graphic. Like yeah. there are people screaming and flailing on the screen, but yeah. they don't show any of the actual. Really, they don't show the actual assaults on screen. Uh, I mean, the, the other assaults, the murders, they do. But and I think in terms of like bumbling criminals, which the <laughs> cannibals are a slightly different version of the Last House guys. They're bumbling in a way that we see that they are. Of lower IQ, yes. but they're still really good at what they do. Yeah, it's believable in the same way that um, Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. is believable. I'm glad you said that. I was just about to ask you two, again, the more uh, encyclopedic when it comes to this horror shit. Um, does this live in Toby Hooper's shadow as far as like everyone knows Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Only – I wouldn't say nobody knows, but it is far – Hills Have Eyes is – Far more niche than it's a cult classic. Yeah, uh, you know, and then of course, you know, shout out to the weekend for for making that bringing that back, bringing <laughs> that back, bringing it back. They brought crack back. Um, <laughs> do you think that is because the Chainsaw Massacre is such a superior, well, uh, a better make better made film? It's a better made film. Yeah, it's I mean, a better film. I, I think it's yeah, it's better made and better. It's in terms of like acting and story, mm-hmm. it's definitely better. And I mean. 
this the starkness of the camera in that movie mm-hmm. and like as an exercise i mean it, it just looks yeah, dirty yeah it's it, the the tone of the movie itself is a, a, like a miracle yeah and hills have eyes i mean it's a fine movie but like it, it's hokey it's, yeah it's not even like th- those two movies don't belong in the same sentences well it's funny they, they share the two movies share a production designer really yes and they reused a lot of the props from massacre to decorate the uh, the clans, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. To their lair. Um, I, I really think that Hills Have Eyes w- was kind of like a, a sign of things to come, as far as really where he was going, like you said, with the camera work, and really with how he handles the violence. Um, and I guess we can, I mean, do we, we like this movie? I like this movie. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... It I, ends really weird, but I like yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I think it, it's weird, and it's kind of, it's like, it's almost there. Yeah. But, uh... It's it's not a it's not a good ending. Like it's it's like even if you really like the movie, it's a triple. It's not a yeah, so it's not a home run. The movie ends with uh, Doug finally catches up with Mars. There's, they've been in a chase for at least what twenty minutes. In yeah, the movie. basically almost all of the traveling family dies, and but they're like some of them are able to kill the cannibals. Yeah, and before then, they die. Yeah, and then the lead cannibal is like running away with the family's baby mm-hmm. because they really want to eat this baby. <laughs> so he finally. Uh, Ruby, one of the cannibals, the, the uh, little girl cannibal, she, she throws a, a rattlesnake on Mars. Her brother. Her brother. Lands on his neck, and, and then it allows Doug to basically stab him to death. He continues to stab him as Ruby's crying, and the movie ends. Yeah. There's no closure to anything. Yeah. It just ends after that. Which is, a like, if it were done better, it yeah. would be, like, a good thematic statement on like the rage of the yeah, movie yeah and i'm cool with yeah, it i'm cool with them not yeah i'm cool with them not explaining it but yeah. i wanted them to kind of zero in on the fact that doug has become these guys yeah like, he's become them because he's had to do what he had to do to get the baby back i think on paper the ending is good and i think you could shoot the same exact thing in a better more stylized way absolutely but it does feel like such a fucking grindhouse movie when it just smashes to red and then the credits start <laughs> after half a fucking second like <laughs> it's almost like they run out of they run out of time and yeah like, oh, gotta yeah. go folks it, it almost looks like you know when you're watching a movie on fx and like it, it shrinks to half the screen and the credits yeah. roll at like 90 miles an hour it almost felt like that hmm. um let's let's skip ahead here uh what do you think would we put it back on the shelf i, I keep it oh i keep I, it i think yeah. if you want to talk about west craven movies i start here before you start with nightmare and then see where he goes from nightmare to this but i i i have a movie that i saw and i watched that you guys didn't watch okay i watched uh, yeah i watched swamp thing oh okay i've never seen swamp never thing seen i watched swamp thing and this movie he had to be on so much coke when did it come out it came 82. on 82 before Nightmare. Before before Nightmare. Two years before Nightmare. Oh, it had Ray Wise in it? He was on Coke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to make a Coke anthem if you got Ray Wise. So this was a superhero movie. Not a lot of people. This is this is like a very uh, lesser known. It had the very hot Adrian Barbeau in it. She's out there. Listen, I'm sorry, man. She looking like a snack in this movie, okay? Looking, looking real good. That's all right. You don't need to. You don't need to apologize. They are, they are, beautiful, they are beautiful movie stars. And look, I don't want to. You know, well, specific genre. Yeah, specific specific genre look. She was looking good. All right. Okay. Now, okay. Now one one's okay. All right. But anyway, <laughs> it, it picks up on the, the story of uh, Doctor Alec Holland, who eventually becomes Swamp Thing. This is a very to me snake bit movie because it doesn't work at all. 
it's almost like a step back for him. Just the way that it's framed and shot. The action's terrible. Hmm. Okay, the action is literally yeah. Swamp Wait, is Thing. It, it's not Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. No, it's okay. not. It ha- yeah. I don't even know who, because he wrote the movie. So I'm not sure yeah, what yeah. adaptation he was doing. I actually believe that he did say he was on coke on this when he was making this movie. But the, it, it's like a very dirty, grimy looking movie. And it's, listen, I I would be cool with people never remembering that Wes Craven did this movie. Because it is really like, there's no, like Swamp <laughs> Thing looks like. And it probably looked cool then, then, but he looked like the Toxic Avenger, if you've ever seen those movies. And not in a good mm-hmm. way. Right. <laughs> so if you're a completist... Sure! You why, why, not? why not? It's part of the DC <laughs> canon, Why not? It is part of the DC If you are a Swamp Thing fan, please let Justin know what you think of this it movie. It predated Batman 89. Yeah. Like, this is a movie that, you know... It's kind of like a Dark Man. Like Dark Man, but except it had an actual... It was actually real. <laughs> but Wes Craven superhero movies... Not as not as bad. But let's talk about uh, before we take a break. Let's talk about Nightmare really quick before we go into the nineties. Nightmare on Elm Street. This is probably his. This is his his, uh, magnum opus in a lot of ways. I think, and it's rare that that I'll say it. I'll go ahead and say he has two. He has two movies. I would say that are up there. It's it's classic. Yeah, this and Uh, and Scream. And Scream. Yeah, yeah. because it's funny. I I readily know West from Scream. I until we chopped it up about this and went over logistics how we're going to do it. I forgot he directed this. Really? Yeah. I don't associate Nightmare with Wes. I love Nightmare on Elm Street. I have seen this movie. I started the Hollywood Cemetery last year. Yeah, I've seen awesome. this movie yeah. so many fucking times that, you know, it boggles the mind. It scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. The part where he, where Freddy that has his arms so open. That is so scary. Shit's crazy. So, I mean, you know, you guys know the story. You, you guys have probably seen it. Yeah. Of the listeners, it, it, it's about... Uh, I think five teenagers, four teenagers that are that are haunted by the ghost of Freddy Krueger. Is the child molestation angle in this movie? I th- no, it's not. It's in the second one. It's in this. No, it's not. The second one is no offense. The second one is the one where Freddy is gay. Yeah, and like the movie is kind of about like coming it's out. Like, yeah, but like it doesn't handle it well. Like it's it's like a really like it. It is like kind of an admirable movie in yeah. some ways for what it does, but like it basically does like the eighties version of what it's trying to do. So like looking back <laughs> on it, it's a little like, yeah, this is weird. Yeah. Uh, they should have made some classier decisions when making this movie. Uh, and I, the, yeah, I this think they the, touch on the molestation. He's a murderer. They call him a okay. murderer. He's a child murderer. He's a child yeah. murderer on this one. They don't. The molestation thing was in the remake. Oh, in the first one in the remake. The the remake with uh, Jackie Earl Haley, yeah. whatever his name is. That he was a pedophile in that one. Yeah, not yeah. this. One. This one's really known for like having this archetype of this volatile, very creepy looking, violent, predatory man. And of course, I'm talking about Johnny Depp. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, folks. Thank you. Oh shit! Uh, Johnny Depp is in this film. Uh, young heartthrob uh, before he became. He's got the most the monster that he is. Today. He has the most bewildering death I've ever seen in my life. Is yeah. he? He's the waterbed death. He gets right? sucked into the and the blood just shoots at yeah. the top. You know they filmed didn't they film that upside down? I think they said they filmed that with the room upside down. They had to. that's sick. Yeah. Yeah. And um. Guys, that I mean, the deaths. I still think Nightmare One has some of the best deaths, and, and obviously, this is a series that is full of really good deaths. Yeah, because the supernatural aspect of it allows them to like be ridiculous yeah. in ways that, like, like when the Jason kills get ridiculous, he's like killing people with like a bulldozer 
<laughs> like it's it, they're big. Yeah. And they kind of have to be, and it makes them a little ridiculous. And sometimes they're cool, and sometimes they're not. But in this, sometimes they're cool, and sometimes they're not. But like, I mean, Freddy will do whatever. Like he'll the transform into a cat. worm. Yeah. He'll do anything. The skin the cat one, where he drags Tina. Poor Tina. She was listen. I was in love with her too. <laughs> is this some of the iconography is like blending and blurring together for me? Is this one Heather falls asleep in the bathtub and his claw comes yes. out? Yes. Yeah. I, I remember seeing it as a kid. I was like seven or so or eight when I first saw it. I was terrified to take showers after that. Like I still did because you know I'm a germaphobe since I was, <laughs> since I was a child. You mean baths or showers? Both. I was like I will never <laughs> take a bath again because of the way that looked. I remember that fucking freaking me out, and I was just like a testament to like. Just to how long Craven holds the camera there as the claw comes out, his or Freddy's, um, you know, his like hand. His, his his mutilated, bladed hand comes out of the drain. I was just like, oh man, this is. This then he drags her under. Yeah, and then, yeah. then well, I thought she wakes up the first time, right? Doesn't she? She wakes up the first time. The claw cold goes down because yes. her mom interrupts her. Uh-huh. And then the second time he drags her down, and she's like literally like underwater. And it's like this movie's crazy because horror movies had never really done like like Hellraiser. Which I think was before this. Let me check. I think Hellraiser was before this. Hellraiser came uh, out before. I thought that was like eighty six. Well, I think Hellraiser came out eighty seven. Yeah, Hellraiser was eighty seven. Hellraiser, yeah, eighty seven. Yeah, so this was eighty four. Eighty four. So like they horror movies haven't really done the dreamlike thing. Yeah. Like you had like the nightmare or the, the Friday movies where at the end that she would like the the final girl would dream that Jason came back. But he didn't really come back. This was full on, like, yeah, horror where am I at? being grounded. Yeah. Like, but we're in reality, which made it that much scarier yeah. and that much visceral. This was like, oh, there's a fantastical sequence or uh, fantastical element to this that makes it that much more nightmarish because you can't control it. It's part yeah, of the and it doesn't actually cross over into, like, full on sci-fi. Yeah. So, it like, you don't get, like, a lot of fun out of it. Yeah. It's just, like, s- supernatural. And which, we got to talk about yeah. – we got to talk about two things. First off, the design of Freddy Krueger, iconic, most iconic. I, th- I think what I think Craven has two iconic villain yeah, designs. Oh yeah, yeah. I think Freddy's the first one. Yeah. Easily, uh, I, I mean, for, as a as an iconic villain, I think. I mean, Le- uh, Freddy is ahead of Leatherface. Freddy is yeah. in like the big three. Yeah, top three yeah. for sure. Uh, top three. I think Chucky might have come at four, a little bit below that as far as popularity goes. Yeah, yeah. I would put Chucky at like four or five. I. I love the the way they play with Freddy's body in this movie where he cuts yeah. his hands off or cuts his fingers off and they do shit like that in the movie where it's like, okay, this dude is literally crazy. He will literally mutilate himself to scare you. Yeah. But is it real or not? I, I just love the design of, of Freddy and I love that they kept that design throughout all these movies. And we'll talk about the way Freddy looks in New Nightmare because I don't like the way he looks. No, he looks bad. He looks terrible in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing I want to talk about, Heather Langenkamp. Langenkamp. Uh, I am still in love with this this woman. She's great. I'm in love with a lot of these. Listen, the night like we're gonna be talking about. You have a lot of horror, formative horror movies. Listen, because yeah. when we get to Nev Campbell, we're gonna talk about Nev Campbell too. You dig? So at the end of the got day, the final girl fetish is this? Yeah, movie? I think that's what it is. I think I'm surprised really... that this man had a, a final girl I mean, fetish. I, I guess if all you watch is uh, horror movies, yeah. that's all it is. Uh, yeah, I think Heather's great. Uh, I think she's really the only reason that uh, New Nightmare manages to hold it together because she became a really good actor yeah, in those yeah, 10 she's years good, yeah <laughs> I, uh, I she plays nancy in this movie nancy yeah. is a recurring character she doesn't show up in two she shows up in three and four where she meets her untimely demise and uh i believe i think she dies in three why don't it's, you i think it's three we, we jumped right into the specifics why don't you give a quick 
breakdown of what how Freddy is sort of conjured into the universe. What how does this film actually work? How does this universe play? Uh, Freddy comes back because he's looking for revenge on the children of the parents that murdered him, I want to say 20-so years before. Mm. So he's looking for them for for revenge. He comes back and manifests himself in their dreams. I believe something said in some type of lore that Freddy sold his soul to some witch or something that made him like a dream master. It's... I think it's three demons. Three demons. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he sold his soul to them and he became a dream master. And from there, he basically haunts the children of, uh, of what's, what's the city they're in? Uh, the fuck? Springvale? Spring Springfield? Field. Is it Springfield? It's spring something. Something Vale. Listen, man, I, I, I know, I know where, they, listen, it's, it's California in the movie, all right? They're, they live in West Hollywood. That's where the house is. In, uh, in Venice. <laughs> that's, where the, that's where the house is, isn't it? It's in, it, it? Some of it escapes me. I'm getting old. Every town has an Elm Street, so that's the only That I mean, it's try, well, well, they try and say, like, they didn't connect the two the, the places, and uh, they try to say, like, Crystal Lake was Jersey. I and, think uh, they did, yeah. When uh, Freddy versus Jason... Uh, but but these movies are all basically predicated on the fact that Freddy, in some way, is looking for revenge on these parents. And then in the other movies, it's like it's always about like in the other movies, it's like okay, I'm going to get revenge on Nancy, but I didn't even know she was still alive. I'm, I'm trying to get these kids in this mental this mental institution uh, and stuff like that. So whenever he comes back, he's never really dead because he's always manifesting himself in his dreams. And later on in the series, they actually take pills. Yeah, to 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 uh, kind of suppress their dreams. Anybody who has memories of him takes these pills yes. and like lives in an asylum, so like they can't basically remember him or infect anybody else with yeah. with the memory of him. Because the key of it is, if you don't believe in Freddy, he can't exist. And yeah. that's how they defeat him. That's how Nancy defeats yeah, him. Yeah, which is a very basic concept that they execute at the end of Nightmare One, and then goes on to become much more complicated as the series right. yep. goes on. It just makes me think about how influential, I mean, everything Craven, there's a DNA to modern horror that you can't, you know, sort of deracinate from, from, from Wes Craven. But like, it seems so obvious with what Freddy, how Freddy inspired it. Yeah. Where it's just like, yeah, how, how they aren't kids, how it's all about like the psychology of thinking about him. And yeah. Even just like down to his like fang, fang like fingers and everything. I don't know. It's just like, you see these cyclical like uh, like signifiers of like what Craven did with Freddy that would like also like lay a path in the in the 90s for horror too. Another thing I want to say before we get off of this, there is a part at the end of the movie where uh, Nancy's mother, who is a raging alcoholic, <laughs> and, and dies a terrible death. Classic, classic <laughs> she, died, she dies a awful death. Freddy is on fire and lays on her and <laughs> sinking to the bed. Jesus that is Christ. a terrible death. Yeah. Uh, she is locked up by her mom. I don't know if you remember this part, Pat. She tells her father to wake her up in 10 minutes. The movie shows her stopwatch. Yeah, yeah. Because she's trying to drag Freddy out of the dream. Uh, she shows her, her her stopwatch. I counted it myself. That movie takes more than 20 minutes to get back to that part before she drags Freddy out of the dream. Her dad fucked up. She should have been dead. Classic dumb, like, movie clock thing. One of my friends told me this in high school, and it has never, like, stopped haunting me. There's a part in Home Alone <laughs> when, like, he knows that, like, the, he hears the wet bandits say, like, we're coming at seven. Yeah. And so he, like, sets all the traps and does everything. And then, like, because it's, he's a kid, he, like, makes him, like, mac and cheese. <laughs> and, like, he sits down, and he's, like, going to have, like, a real meal, yeah. like, Home Alone. And then he, like, looks at the clock, and, like, it's seven. Like, as he's about to take yeah. the first bite of the mac and cheese, and, like... You fucking knew 
They were coming. But it's funny because Nancy does the same yeah, shit yeah. in Nightmare because she uses that 10 minutes to set traps for Freddy and then go to sleep. Yeah. I'm like, bro, there's no fucking way you did this. And then, but it leads to the one of the best scares in the movie where she wakes up and she's just like, she thinks she's failed. And she's like, oh, I didn't get him. And then he just pops up beside yeah, her in the yeah. bed. That shit gets me every fucking time. Then she beats Freddy's ass. Yeah. That's one of the great things about Freddy is that he's- When he's like, outside the dream. Yeah. Is that like, he's, it's believable that like, you could just kind of whoop him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that's kind of, especially thanks to uh, Robert England, uh-huh. I, is I, I got to applaud his, yeah. like he will come back and play this character as many times as you want. And he's God walking for it. I'm good. I, I, I love him here. I love John Saxon as well as her father yeah. slash police officer. I love this movie. It's a perfect movie. I, I think it goes in the annals of One of history. the first horror movies that really leave like an indelible, like scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's probably why I suck to watch horror movies. And as an adult, uh, yeah, that sh- that bathroom scene like sticks with me thirty years later. This movie, the I remember this. This is what why I still have a hard time watching some horror movies. Like Eric thinks I'm like good at it. I'm not that good at it. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I watched The Witch with you, and I was burying my face yeah. in the order, and you're just like, this is really good, yeah. really, really, really good. Black Phil, shout out to Black Philip, best best uh, horror villain in quite some yeah, time. Yeah, shout black, out to the black Witch, is, blackest antagonist. Watch uh, Watch The Witch this month if you haven't seen it. Robert Eggers, baby. Uh, we just find out, yeah. We weren't talking about anything. We were going to take a break. Okay. No, you, you, you were talking about, um, oh, fuck. Sorry, man. I well, no, it's okay. It's okay. Um, maybe this might jar it, but like, yeah. before we take the break, I think it's a great segue before we get into latter uh, day uh, Wes Craven. I think this was the first time we saw Wes Craven being cheeky and yeah. uh, a little a little self-aware, which sort of would... Uh, reveal itself as in his second masterpiece as far as being uh, meta and self-referential and yeah. funny yeah. and using humor to really uh, drive abject horror down our throats in a palatable way which like looking back on how we watched his like 90s horror movies I'm like oh these are still very much horror movies yeah. people, people chalk it up to him being like you know it's sort of like pop horror or whatever like funny horror like yeah there's funny moments but there's a brutality to it that sort of under, gets undercut by the humor. I think yeah. Freddie was the first time we saw Wes Craven being he's yeah, playing to the crowd. Yeah, he's playing to the he's crowd. Being playful. And before and before Freddie even becomes a, a jokester, and you kind of have to be meta when you're talking about dreams. Because yeah, you're literally yeah. looking at the audience and saying, "This is not what it is," and yeah. you guys know this. Yeah. But even Freddie, like like I said earlier, cutting off his fingers. That's that shot is close up. Yeah, yeah. So he's looking at you when he does it. You know, he's playing to the yeah. crowd there. He's playing to the cheap sheet, the yeah. cheap seats. So. Uh, yeah, this is this. You, you're right. It could be one of the first meta. Uh, it starts to build a crescendo to true proper meta, meta horror. horror. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah uh, that is the first half of the Wes Craven episode. We will be right back with the uh, the final half of this. We'll be talking about the new nightmare, Wes, Craven, Wes Craven's new nightmare, and the Scream series and and beyond. So uh, stay tuned. Late fees will be right back. Here's how we play. I ask a question. Get it right, Steve lives. Come on, it'll be fun. It's an easy category. Movie trivia. I'll even give you a warm-up question. Don't do this, I can't. Name the killer in Halloween. No. Come on, it's your favorite scary movie, remember? He had a white mask, he stalked the babysitters. Come on, yes you do. Please. What's his name? Steve's counting on you. Michael. Michael. Yes. Very good. Now for the real question. No! Oh, you're doing so well. We can't 
Name the killer in Friday the 13th. Jason! 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 I'm sorry. That's the wrong answer. No, it's not. No, it's not. It was Jason. Afraid not? No way. Listen, it was Jason. I saw that movie 20 goddamn times. Then you should know Jason's mother, Mrs. Voorhees, was the original killer. Jason didn't show up until the sequel. I'm afraid that was a wrong answer. You tricked me. Lucky for you, there's a bonus round. But poor Steve, I'm afraid he's out. Because it's way better to, like, just show them, like, digging up the grave than it is to say, this kid's going to become a reincarnated wolf child. Yeah. Like, it's not saying that isn't cool. It's spoilers, only Spoilers. Yeah. Spoilers for Hold the Dark. We are back on oh, late shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> This is our very Mark Maron moment where we pretend that we don't know we're on mic. Actually, I didn't know we were on mic. Uh, yeah, we're, we're having a, an existential discussion. Maron made it into the interview at 14 minutes today. Pat, oh, wow. Pat and I have an <laughs> ongoing uh, theme of sending contextless screenshots of the Mark Maron podcast when the interview actually kicks in and he's done his like <laughs> monologue and like promoting and it's usually started out as like nine minutes and but the past year it's been he doesn't kick it off until like 21 minutes <laughs> it, it, it now ranges from like 13 to 23 yeah it's it's an, that guy is insane but I can't stop listening uh, uh, that was our Maron moment yeah. we are back talking <laughs> Wes Craven on late fees I am just enjoying by uh eric and pat and we have our young ward cam on the couch next to us fact checking away uh we're actually going to be doing a lot of we're talking about a lot of movies that might be up his alley he might have been five years old when these came out uh but they are still movies that that matter nonetheless we're we're going to talk about wes craven's 90s all the way on um let's start here with movies like did you guys watch Shocker? I watched Shocker. I saw Shocker on Sci-Fi when I was in high school. Crazy movie. Yeah. Insane movie. Didn't you, think you did. what it looks like broadcast and edited on Sci-Fi oh, in, in like, like 2005? <laughs> Just the premise of it, again, working with the supernatural and kind of like the macabre of uh, a serial killer that uses electricity yeah. uh, to kill his victims. And it's just like, it's electricity. It could get you anywhere. Uh, and that came out in 1989. He also had The Serpent and the Rainbow, which is a very underrated movie. I haven't seen that, but also, can we just pause? Last House on the Left, um, The Hills Have Eyes. This guy makes movies with really good fucking titles. He yeah. didn't like The Hills Have Eyes title. That's one of the, I mean, that's an amazing title. Sorry, for Wes, we're overriding yeah. you on this one. Yeah, yeah we yeah, like, like it. it. So and from the Last rain. House on the Left, a movie that I guess you don't like and I don't like, but it, as for a title for a horror movie, really good. <laughs> really fucking good. And it could very well be like a Mumblecore movie title, too. Like, yeah. Like yeah. a Plots Brothers yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> Last House on the Left, bro. Uh, um, and then in 1991, he had The People Under the Stairs, a movie that I also did watch. Watched a lot of Wes Craven movies over the, uh, the past week. Um, a lot of people would say, or I've seen a lot of think pieces or, or just people in general say that the, pe- the people under the stairs could work today. Couldn't or could? Could work today. I, it is one of my, it is my third favorite Wes Craven movie. I don't think that movie could work today. Interesting. I think it deals. Because of the race issues of yes. it? Yes. I think it, it deals with things that are germane to right now. Gentrification. Gentrification, wealth redistribution. I mean, the movie is really about the violence of displacement of, of, uh, of 
I mean, the movie of all people, movie, people of color, really. The movie, the movie is class conscious as hell. I mean, it really is about a a black family tearing down basically proxies for Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan. Like mom and dad were like proxies for '80s era slumlords. Yeah, and it, I mean, if you look at what's ripping through Los Angeles where we're recording this, is like um, displacement, gentrification, uh, unlivable rent, and the biggest uh, bill on the ballot this year for during the midterms is uh, Costa Hawkins, which is repealing the the bill that is basically blocked rent control. Yeah. So if you're listening to this in LA, vote yes on 10. <laughs> we're going to repeal Costa Hawkins. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I think, sorry, you know, I always got to go. You on always got it. This is I a got, political yeah, Eric moment. I got one political <laughs> tirade. I think this movie is the beginning of understanding what really makes Craven tick. I mentioned earlier, tongue and cheekily, uh, was that he was kind of a woke director for an old baby boomer white guy. Um, obviously, I, I don't, you know, that term means nothing anymore, but like he really was. Uh, He's not woke, man. The People Under the Stairs really was a class conscious film. And, you know, it, it stars Ving Rhames and uh, I forget the young kid, Brandon Turner, I believe, from The Mighty Ducks. Uh, he was uh, he played uh, Michael Jackson's little buddy. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Brandon Adams. I think yeah, Brandon Adams. And um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it is it is about the subjugation of people of color by white millionaires who own land owning white millionaires who basically um, stolen the land and, and repurposed and made it unlivable for mm-hmm. the communities who made those places vibrant to begin with. So you watch this movie, and if you watch it as a kid, you don't understand this shit. I thought this movie was terrifying. And you think the people under the stairs are the villains. Mm-hmm. They're actually the good guys. They are the oppressed. And they it's, help the black family, Bing Rames, uh, I think I think the kid's name is Fool. That's his name. Yeah. Rise up and sort of take down like this Donald Sterling-esque <laughs> monster um, and redistribute their wealth to, to the community that looks like them. And I mean, like, it's such Donald a silly... Sterling was a guy who in 2013 – uh, <laughs> we have to go. It's been so long. Man. Can you right, believe can, that shit? I know. I can't believe that was five years ago. Okay, we can fucking say. I hate no, thinking no, things no. about Trump, but like he is a fucking slumlord. He yeah, started he's out, literally Kushner. Yeah, he. I mean, Donald Trump is known. He was his first like foray into the public arena was like not renting his gilded fucking apartments to black people. He would write the letter B or like yeah. or C for colored or some shit. On these applications, but uh, and then calling for the execution of uh, and then the Central Park Central Five, Park Five yeah. which he never recanted after. Still has <laughs> this episode of Late Fees. You're getting everything. You're getting the Carter Five review. You're getting <laughs> real left wing hours. <laughs> real left wing hours here. No, uh, but on, uh, I think it doesn't work for today because it's just the flippant way they use the N word in the movie. It's just like it, it, it's a very it's, it's a very hokey movie. It's very silly. There's a part where a dog slides down a yeah <laughs> <laughs> a fucking Rottweiler slides down a, a, a trap. <laughs> right. I, I think it's a it's a campy fairy tale, which I think like with horror elements and comedy elements, it's a comedy that works. And yeah, I mean, it's hard to find a movie that came out 20 years ago, 27 years ago, that is perfect that holds up by today's mores. Whereas whether it's using the M word or gay panic or anything like that, but I think the overall themes that West was really tapping into. He wrote this story when he read about an article that happened. Uh, he read about um, an article that happened in Los Angeles where uh, this white homeowner called the cops on some. She thought she saw some black kids breaking into a house, and she, so she called the cops. And they're you know they're peaceful, idyllic um, neighborhood. And when the cops showed up, yeah, the kids were breaking in there. But when they found out there, when they 
when the cops showed up, they found like 20 feral children like tied up to like cha- chains. And like Wes was like, oh, so like, yeah, these young black kids were being like petty crooks or whatever. But that pales in comparison to the crime um, that goes unpunished by like white collar. The audacity of the white person who's like got a bunch of kids locked up yeah. to call – like the cops on breaking and entering yeah. where you have the kids locked yeah. up. It's insane. So it's like, so it's like, just like, it, it was this huge, you know, flashpoint for Wes Craven. It was like, Oh, like no young black kid will ever be more dangerous or detrimental than like the white ruling class. Yeah. And I was like, all right. Yeah. So yeah, it qualifies as woke Bay a little bit. And like, <laughs> like you said, there are some very problematic parts about it, but I, like I, my, I say all this tangent shit to say, it is the beginning of tapping into what makes Wes Anderson, what Wes Anderson, Wes Craven tick as a conscious director, as a as a person who would sort of imbue slick messages into his horror and into his films later on. They're actually developing a People Under the Stairs TV series for sci-fi. They announced it in 2015. I don't know when it's going to happen. Is Jordan Peele involved? And I don't say that to be funny. Uh, like, no. He said that was a huge ins- inspiration for Get Out. Uh, as, like, no, I don't thriller. know. Well, uh, damn. It said that it was before his death that he was developing it, so oh, someone could sucks. someone could pick it up. Yeah. And I think it would. I think that show would be more in line with today than this movie is, because even though the deal does deal with class, you know, class warfare and classism and, and gentrification, I feel like those themes work. But everything else in this movie is just kind of splattered on the wall. Like, okay, we gotta get the ratio. Yeah, in there. <laughs> and it, they made them like more flippantly when it, when it was made. Like yeah. now, it's like. Okay, but now we actually have to like take a lot of the shit you just threw in the first one. Like, it talk we have to take it seriously now. <laughs> yeah. Like, they so. blew Ring Rames the fuck away with that gun. I'll say that. Yeah, much. yeah. I've never seen him die so vividly in a movie ever. Not until Conair. Yeah, not until not Conair. Again, until Conair. Uh, but People on the Stairs dropped in uh, 1991, and we're going to get to our next movie, dropped in 1994. Wes Craven goes back to the well again. And what we could consider uh, the, the prototype or the proto-metal horror movie and Wes Craven's new nightmare. It is a semi-sequel uh, to the Nightmare on Elm Street universe. I can't really call it a direct sequel to anything because it's literally like a fairy tale. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess just for anyone who doesn't know new It's nightmare, its own timeline. Yeah. Is, did he, how many of them was he involved in after? Uh, he produced everyone after one. Okay. He never Which came means back like to it. He collected a check. Basically. Like yeah. In namesake only. Yes. Basically. What that means. So this is, you know, 12 years later, an X amount of sequels have been made. I think five, five. sequels have been made yeah. in 12 years, which is a lot. <laughs> uh, and Wes Craven's New Nightmare is basically a movie where um, in, in the movie, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, he's basically making a new nightmare movie. Yeah. So it's 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 a very, very meta movie. <laughs> very it is meta. It, it is Wes Craven taking the Nightmare franchise back both on screen and off screen, mm-hmm. literally in both aspects. Uh, it has fucking script disputes in it where yeah. they don't know what script they're using because this is the beginning of the era where you have to use multiple scripts yeah. and you like have thinking. to talk about like all the Hollywood yeah. shit. And there, like, uh, I believe uh, the 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 guy who ran New Line Cinema, uh, Shay Robert Shay's in the movie too. Yeah, and I mean Wes Craven appears in the movie yeah. as himself and uh, Heather. That's how he did that, right? Yes. Yeah, as himself, as himself. definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so, and another uh, Hitchcockian nod, which. The next movie we're going to talk about does the ultimate Hitchcock game. Oh, yeah. But we'll get to that. And Heather Loggenkamp, uh, 
she plays herself. Yeah. Uh, she plays a, a fictional Heather Loggenkamp who's Wes Craven and Co. are trying to convince to do a new Nightmare movie. Uh, and the whole, like, on paper, this movie is a really cool way to, like, take your franchise back. Yeah, I wish more movies would do this. But it, the actual movie itself is a mess. Uh, Tonally, I don't know that he really got what he was trying to go for here. It's like... Because it didn't really exist. Yeah. Like, he was kind of venturing into unknown territory at this point. Because it's like, it's not really... You're waking at the camera because you got all the Hollywood mumbo-jumbo and the shit... You, you've got uh, her showing up to a, a TV interview and Freddie showing up. I, I think that's one of my favorite yeah. scenes. Um, but then you also have like the, the meta commentary on California at the time. There's like earthquakes throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, there's another earthquake. It's, it's a big one this time. He's but it's environmentally like, conscious. It, he's too woke for this movie <laughs> yeah. for me, dude. He's way too woke. Climate and, change so in 94, All, all this stuff is happening. And then uh, Wes Craven, in, in the, the fictional Wes Craven and the fictional Heather Loggenkamp slowly start to realize that uh, f- like, this is where it starts to get like, insane. Like, <laughs> basically, Freddy, in the world of New Nightmare, in which all these other movies exist... Freddy is like a kind of a cosmic entity mm-hmm. that like latched on to the character of Freddy. And then for all these sequels, like it was still kind of convenient for this entity to be scaring entity to be scaring people as Freddy, the character. Yeah. But now this entity wants to cross over into the real world of Wes Craven's new nightmare. And like then, so Freddy is facing like, like Robert England is a character and Freddy, and Freddy is a character at the same time. in this movie and like Robert England doesn't like Freddy <laughs> obviously uh, so it's, it's funny that he didn't have because in Scream he would have totally done this yeah. have Freddy kill Robert yes yes like this, it doesn't happen in the movie Robert shows up a couple times and then Robert, he just kind of goes away he goes away he doesn't he doesn't appear again the, the whole movie is really about Heather who I think is my favorite part of this movie I think John Saxon Saxon who shows up is a, is a really great uh, part of this movie as well it's He's, one of the better uh aspects of the movie on an execution level because like they get to do their thing yeah. a little bit and there is a, there, there are a ton of nods to all of the nightmare movies throughout the the movie yeah. but it's it's weird that they mention the movie that this freddy like i think wes alludes to it where he says oh yeah freddy was freed after the last movie which was like was final nightmare it yeah like he, his, his soul was freed i was just like are we what are we yeah, so what's real or what's so not the, here? The, the, the the real demonic entity that like likes being Freddy in movies, like knows it's not in movies anymore. Like what? What? He knows he got laid off. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening here? Because the thing is, is Robert England's character before he disappears, he has some like he knows about it too, and yeah. it's like, oh yeah, I had the same dream, and I was yeah. like, Wait a he like says something that he's like is clearly aware of how weird it is, and then just bails. <laughs> It doesn't even help. Like as her son is being, and I, that's one thing I didn't like about it: the child actor. I think he is extremely bad. He was bad in Spawn, and he's bad in this. He. I also just watched uh, Mercury Rising. He's in that. He's in, he's the kid in, in Mercury Rising, and he. Oh my god! It, <laughs> it is hard. It, his kid's annoying. There's some really bad dialogue here. Uh, I think the part where her boyfriend. Still love the Mercury Rising VHS. Sorry. <laughs> When her when her boyfriend dies, the camera guy or the the effects guy dies. Why does she want to go see his body? It's him. Yeah, they've already told you. Yeah, and they say like a thousand (laughs) times. Like, and they don't see. Like the the thing is, this is like why it's not actually a very good movie. 
the like a beat they're trying to get across is like Heather is afraid that like Freddie had something to do with this, but like you only know that as like a conscious viewer. Yeah, they don't do anything actually in the movie to show you that it sh- was him. Yeah, so it's like I don't know. It's you know what it reminded me of. It reminded me of another bad sequel ending movie, and that is Jason Goes to Hell: The Final Friday, where yeah. it's not really the character that you know and love. Yeah, it is some weird. Because the thing is, why would the demonic entity choose to take Robert England's form and not something new? Yeah, like, it's such a weird. Yeah, and Freddy's design in this, he's terrible. It looks really bad. Yeah, he, he looks like a, and like maybe it's kind of intentional, but he looks like like a grumpy old man. Yeah, like Freddy. Like it's it. It's, he's already like goofy looking guy. He, it's not a good sell of the of the character in this movie. I think that uh, it's interesting to note that Johnny Depp was asked to do this movie, and Craven was too scared to ask him. And Depp said that he would have done it if Craven asked him to do it. I scared? wish he would have done it. Craven, why was Craven scared? I guess he's just shy, too shy to ask Johnny. And Danny was getting pretty big at this point. This is right? ninety four. Yeah, it was right around the time of uh, Gilbert Grape. Gilbert Grape and um, June was it? June and uh, but, but Barry and June I forget the name of the movie yeah he, he was he was starting to pop off it was like the end of 21 Jump Street mm-hmm. that whole era um, uh, Robert England says this is his favorite uh, nightmare movie that makes me really sad <laughs> <laughs> he's done them all <laughs> yeah I know who, who would know better he even did the one where he was telling a, a, a man that he wanted to be inside of him so uh, yeah. you know that is what it is. I, I think there's not really much to it. It's not really a violent movie, uh, as violent as the other ones. Kills is. aren't good. The kills aren't really really done well. Uh, they redo the skin the cat sequence, which I don't think was really cool. The redone sequences, they I feel like they think are like good nods. Yeah. And they're really just like... They're cheap. Totally pedestrian. Yeah, they're really cheap. Uh, one thing I do want to know is that why, if this was a demonic entity... When they finally find him at the end, Heather knocks him the fuck out. Yeah. Now they, like, how's that possible? It's just like fighting regular ass Freddy. Like it's, <laughs> it's like, what, what was any of this? So it ends, and you know, it ends like a fairy tale. Really I say ha- it ends like a happy fairy ending. Tale. Yeah, really super happy ending that really closes the book on the franchise at that moment. I think to to date, other than Freddy versus Jason, it is canonically the last yeah. Friday or not Friday, the Nightmare on Elm Street movie to come out and kind of do that. But this leads us to uh, two years later, a movie where he got it right. Well, before that, Vampire in Brooklyn. I think you've seen this maybe earlier or, or more recently than I have. I've watched this movie often. Like, yeah. if it's on TV, I make a point to watch, or like I try to watch it every like at least once a year. I'm mad I didn't get to see it before we watched it. it. You've never I, seen it, yeah. The fact that Craven like made it a mission of his to work with Eddie Murphy was arguably this was a year before The Nutty Professor yeah. where he really became like the biggest movie star in the world but like you know still riding off the the these massive su- successes of, of his stand-up run was like he just wrote this movie with his brother Charlie Murphy and here comes Wes Craven like wanting to direct this movie about a vampire from the Caribbean <laughs> who is trying to continue the vampire race there's like he's like the last of a certain breed of vampire yeah. and angela davis uh or excuse me angela bassett is is like the descendant like a hundred times removed she has no idea she's part of the vampire yeah. race she's sexy in this movie too she huh. I, mean, I mean we see how beautiful she is now like you would just you know imagine you know 30 years earlier and she's you know she's she was great still looking good uh, looking good baby oh god <laughs> um, i like this voice um <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, tune nine one one if you need an Angela Bassett fix. Um, but yeah, and it's just remarkable that like this guy who had only done horror or like sort of. Uh, <laughs> she's sixty. Yes, yeah, she's sixty. Seriously, sixty years old. It's good. Un- she unbelievable. Good. Unbelievable. Uh, Black don't crack. Okay, thanks, Justin. Harry's <laughs> um, uh, been racist over here. <laughs> no, I'm just. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, he's, he's not. He's not. Black don't crack isn't a sexist statement. Yeah, I, I, I usually think of men when I hear that. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm saying just we're we're drooling a little hard over here. Oh, shut the hell up! Anyway, she's a phenomenal actress. She's talented. <laughs> anyway, the, I again, I there's this this through line of Wes wanting to step outside a formulaic. Uh, sort of genre expectation whether he was doing horror which he really did something super meta and layered with with new nightmare really violent movie too yeah. from Ste- what i remember stepped out of that genre completely with with vampire and broken there there's some you know some 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 jump scares but all, all, always played for laughs and 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 uh there's some great great mood and atmosphere in it but it's just funny it's a funny movie <laughs> But he gets great performances. Like it's one. Of, it's one of my favorite Eddie Murphy performances. And please look up the poster for this movie. Yeah. It uh, is ridiculous. It's, it's so amazing. 90s. It's like peak nineties. <laughs> a comic tale of horror and yeah. seduction. Yeah, and the fact that he was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna," you know, sort of use this as a palate cleanser after twenty, you know, fifteen, twenty years of straight horror and 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 exploitation films. I'm gonna do this capital C comedy, and then that really bleeds into the magnum opus of 1996 that we're about to talk about. We're going to talk about Scream. Before Wait. we start with, with Scream, how old were you, Cam, when, when, when Scream came out? Cam! What time the first Scream came out? 96. One years old. You were one. He was one years old. When did you finally see this movie? Probably like 2000, 2001 at a Halloween party. That's insane. Wait a minute. That means you were like... I was like four or five. <laughs> what? This movie was then, really like culture. Like This was, was a, a huge Halloween party. movie. It was my cousins. We, they have, we have an annual Halloween party every year back when I was younger. And they were like in high school. Uh-huh. And so they were playing horror movies, and they were just huddled around the, camp, or the we TV, were, we were and all came downstairs in. in the basement. And Scream was was one of the movies that we watched. Y'all was too young, number one, yeah. <laughs> to be watching that. Scream is a very well, they were like they were all like you know how you have like the older family they in one section and the younger yeah. family was supposed to be somewhere. I had went downstairs. Oh yeah, like, hanging with the older kids. Just yeah. let them stay down here. Because when so, when this movie came out, we were early teens. I was ten. I was. Seven? This movie like cleaned up the MTV Movie Awards that year. I remember being frightened because I was very afraid of the scream mask, which yeah. is yeah, that is it, it was scary. And before I'd seen the movie, yeah, for it was, sure, it was this. It's the second most to some, maybe the first most iconic mask. It's up there with the shape Mike mask Mike. and uh, Myers, the Myers. hockey mask. Yeah. You know, all of that. Shape. I mean, it's probably the. This is a weird thing to think, but like it's probably the one of the last masks. Yeah, like what? What is like the, Valentine? Yeah, like what? Like the only like iconic horror thing other than Black Phillip is uh, probably like the um, Billy from uh, Saw, the puppet. Yeah, Billy. The, but yeah, like that. other than those things, like I think Charlie from Hereditary will be up there. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's probably true. But Charlie like of, of like like since '96, there haven't that many. Yeah. So uh, Scream was inspired by the real life case of the Gainesville Ripper. Uh, it was written by Kevin Williamson, who was the the shit at this at this period of time he wrote he wrote scream he wrote i know what you did last summer uh he wrote a couple other joints i think he was writing all the teen shit yeah at that time yeah, the teen slasher but you i mean he he and West he wrote together. dawson's creek also well, that's, Perfect. How, well, that, that's why he's so good yeah he knew how to write dialogue and behavior for teens like i 
I, I just watched Scream Saturday. I mean, not for the first time, but for the first time recently on Saturday. And the just the like, I mean, you have the classic thing where like everybody's fucking thirty and they're playing high schoolers, yeah. which is so classic in the nineties. And just like the. Like, it's saturated, but it's a little washed out, and, like, everything just seems kind of dreamlike, yeah. and people are, like, sitting on a campus, and, like, this, like, is is the perfect, like, 90s, like, movie. It's like, so movie, good. Yeah, it captured a, it was a cultural moment, it was like a cultural, uh, it was like a bedrock for how people watched movies and horror movies in general. How they were like, made. Just how they are made. I mean, it, was, it, it sort of had, like, I, I can't think of another movie in the 90s that sort of spoke to the current moment more except for maybe like the matrix that the mm-hmm. sort of like had this sort of yeah zeitgeisty uh explosion uh but yeah i mean i remember watching this as a 10 I, I was 10 i probably didn't see it until the next year like six, middle school sixth yeah. grade when like someone's parents were out of town like you know i knew who drew barrymore was and chilling opening sequence chilling opening sequence and, and you back, think she's and well, the, not to interrupt you like in the advertisement, you think she's going to make it. She's in the front of the poster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's the biggest star on the poster. And that's good. And they would continue to do that on all these other movies because Jada Pinkett's on the poster of two. Yeah. And she bites it in 10 minutes. Yeah. It, it is that Hitchcockian thing I, I alluded to earlier where it's making a meat sack of your biggest star mm-hmm. in, the, in the fucking <laughs> cold <Christ>. open. <laughs> where it's, you know, it, I was like, okay, this warm, familiar face and Andrew Barrymore opens the film and it's like, you know, the, the, the dread and, and the uh, tension is ratcheted up from the jump. You know, with the popcorn, uh, yeah. popcorn watches Pop. on the phone. And it's Jiffy Pop too, just to drive home, this is like a small town yeah. uh, thing that these people don't even have microwaves. Yeah. Craven likes the uh, the psycho switch though, because even Last House on the Left is like has a little bit of that. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. the first half of the movie is about, you know, these two characters and then in the second half of the movie, those characters are dead. Yeah. And it's about other characters. Yeah. Yeah. Most of you probably don't know about this term, but if you've seen the classic film Deep Blue Sea, oh, when shit. Samuel Jackson gets <laughs> fucking ripped in two by the Megalodon <laughs> during his most iconic yelling speech. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, Hitchcock is known to, to subvert expectation by wiping out his biggest star. But yeah, I, I mean, there are so many moments where, like, I mean, Henry Winkler just fucking won an Emmy finally. Yeah. Like, the God... Shows up in this movie and bites it. Get, get, get <laughs> he it. hates kids. Yeah. <laughs> like like p- principals in the nineties hated yeah. kids. Like yeah. why? Yeah, why did they take that? The is job? the like you don't watch. You don't realize this when you're watching it, but like that is the one shortcoming of like anytime a like a boomer writes a movie about kids. It's like you Kevin Wilson to his credit knew how kids talked at the time. That's why Dawson's Creek was so effective. But like. Like no one was wearing Letterman jackets. Yeah. Like yeah. you know what I mean. Like as like this is such a 1950s Leave It to Beaver. Like the the uh, angry authority figure was like no these people are probably yeah. chill. Like the jocks don't always rule the school. Yeah, uh, I will say in my high school, uh, jocks did wear Letterman jackets, oh, but they definitely didn't like rule the school. Like that like fictionalized like jocks bully nerds. Like yeah. I mean I know I'm sure that existed for some people, but like yeah. like now nerds quote unquote like the cool yeah. kids and like jocks like. Like all my friends, we all played varsity sports, but like we were all like fucking honor fail students. students and like fucking you guys got, got were fucking losers. No, you weren't an honor student. No, I was like a. So, I was an honor student. Three point baby. So when you think about the climate of horror at the time, Scream came out. There were no franchises yeah. active. At they the time. It, they died. Child's Play was gone. Uh, Friday was dormant. A Nightmare was 
for all this purposes, over. Yeah, after and the only Nightmare. reason the last one had been made was because he won. Yeah, because he wanted to come back. Uh, Scream really kind of sparked the, the plug, really, again, to, to start this. The movie stars, not Drew Barrymore, she dies and. Can I say one of the greatest intros of all time? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think like... I'm going to gut you like a fish. The reason that it's so obvious that uh, Last House is bad to me now is because the opening of Scream has huge similarities to Last House. I mean, like, Drew Barrymore's parents, like, she's alive when Mm -hmm. they get home Mm -hmm. and like... And they can't hear her. Yeah, and (laughs) they like don't realize it and like then they go outside like two seconds after getting home and she's dead and like mm-hmm. it's really grisly and sad and tragic right. and like the music too yeah and he manages to do basically everything that last house spends you know 80 an 90 minutes trying to do an hour <laughs> at time, uh, trying to do scream manages to do in Ten seven minutes, minutes yeah, yeah or whatever and I, I think the opening is the the, the the biggest knock on scream that i have is that it's really, really hard for me to uh, disassociate it from uh, a scary movie. Oh, God, uh, yeah. Can't which, which, which was also so ubiquitous at the time. Like, as big as Scream was, scary it movie was hotels. also that big. It came out like a year yeah. after. Yeah, <laughs> four, 2000. To the, oh, really? Really? Yeah. That's crazy. That's, yeah. I thought it, I, I felt like it came out a year after. Well, that's because they hit the ground running with the scary movie sequels so yeah. hard, <laughs> uh, and they're okay for a minute there. Yeah, the first three are decent, but yeah, I mean, yeah, scary movie changed. Like We've got to do a scary movie. Yeah, episode. we should. We should do a Keenan Ivory Wayans episode. Uh, that is true. Um, but, I'm gonna uh, get you sucker. I got the Blu-ray, baby. The movie is stars Nev Campbell, David Arquette, Courtney Cox, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, Skeet Ulrich. There's My a dude. man named Skeet. There's a like, dude man, named I gotta Skeet. say, I know Wes isn't here. He would be singing Skeet Orange's praises right now if he were here. Well, he's the... Well, what, 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 what did you say? Oh, Jamie fucking Jamie Kennedy, Kennedy, who doesn't yeah. get top billing here. No, and he survives till the third sequel. Kinda. Kind of. He's not... He dies in... Oh, uh, I guess that's true, yeah. yeah, yeah he yeah. dies grisly, a grisly death in two. It was a death that and, I was uncomfortable with. And say what but you, they bring him back, don't they? It's like the ghost of... It's like a video. He recorded okay, a video okay. of himself before he died. He was gonna oh, die. yes, and he says, like, in the third one, yeah. all the rules are off. Yeah, yeah. Jamie, Jamie Kennedy is sort of like the Greek chorus, but also Wes Craven's voice of, like, being very self-aware of, like, this is how... This is every single trope of a horror movie. This is how this girl dies, or this jock dies, or this situational moment that is in every horror movie that you've grown to expect and he deconstructs it deconstructs it in front of your eyes that's what Scream is about if anyone hasn't seen it yeah Yeah. there's a small town Mm -hmm. and somebody starts stabbing people to death they're hot teenagers Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's very familiar territory for Wes but he's able to I mean he doesn't subvert that many expectations it's still teenagers getting killed right and it does still manage to be just if what you want is a, is a horror movie. Yeah. It is that. Like, it's not a fucking, like, stupid, really aware, annoying, like, dramedy. It well, is well, a horror movie. Well, it's, it's totally horror because of what it takes from so many other horror movies. The small town aspect from Halloween. The slasher aspect from Friday. The whodunit from Friday the 13th yeah. Part 1 also. And many other horror movies... It congealed in a way that if you say, okay, let's put all these movies in here and just make a movie, it wouldn't work on the outset, but it does, and that is because it is so fucking meta. This movie is winking at you from minute one until the 111th minute of the movie. They are talking about movies and referencing movies, sometimes even Wes's own movies, yeah. in, the, in the actual movie and as a framework of this copycat killer 
who was hoping to kill all these people or kill people around Sidney Prescott, the main character. On the uh, anniversary of her mother's On the anniversary murder. of her mother's murder. And you're trying to figure out who is against her or who wants to kill her and her friends. Yeah. I will say one knock I have against it is that the actual framing of this and trying to figure out the time periods and why and the who and the what and how they did it is kind of flimsy when you rewatch it after you learn who did it. Uh, you learn that it is eventually – it is her boyfriend – uh, with the help of with the else. help of someone else, yeah. but there's certain questions I have. Like, how the fuck they hang out Drew Barrymore's character that quick? Yeah, like it's that was crazy. It's kind it was of, within minutes. Yeah, it's kind of cool that like they do all this deconstruction. Uh-huh. But if you're gonna have all these deconstructive elements and then use all the same buys as the movies you're making fun of, mm-hmm. it like doesn't quite work. Like yeah. you're saying, like if you're gonna do such a good job of like turning the Drew Barrymore scene on its head. But then you need the buy of they hung her from the tree in two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> like you're kind of undermining all the other hard work. And sometimes doing. it works. Like there's a scene where Sydney's being chased in her house by the killer. Yeah. But the boyfriend shows up right after. Yeah. But it's like, it makes sense. You wouldn't think it was him because there was actually two of them. So it kind of fucks with the it subverts the audience because it's like oh she eventually has has sex with him anyway. So that's another subversion of, of what you expect from the movie, and it does that all throughout the movie. And I think yeah. that's why it's so effective. I mean, you got to suspend your. Yeah, suspension of belief certainly certainly so you know to, to split hairs a little too much like yeah it's like there's no way they'd get a, a rope around a tree and a 120 pound person pulled up in that amount of time of course the, but, but the, the, the rope work like, the rope work on that was crazy though Eric like, <laughs> they, that, was, that tree was high those shit. sailors <laughs> mouths Eric uh, yeah it was uh, uh, yeah a lot of you know logic swings there but it works because the writing is so strong and the central mystery is actually good that the window dressing of like, yeah, it's, you know, Jamie Kennedy is, you know, he is a guy who watches one too many horror movies who yeah. knows the, the, the tropes and the, the, the pitfalls and, and, and the he's, beat by beat breakdowns to a T cause he works in a video store. He's, he's like, the friend that you hate. Yeah. Cause like, this, I'm going to explain <laughs> how this works, man. And so he, I know he's a cultural punching bag now, but it is one of my favorite nineties performances. Watching it the other day, I was like, Holy shit! Like yeah. he's doing his thing. Like, he's pretty good. <laughs> he's good, man. He's really fucking good. Malibu's yeah. most wanted episode of Late Fees coming soon. Oh god! And yeah. Matthew Lillard too. I will miss that one. <laughs> I will definitely miss that one. Matthew Lillard too was amazing in this. Yeah, how about the villains being Skeet and Matt Lillard? Like just a hell of a pair yeah. for the '90s. Watch a few movies. But, take a few notes. Let's uh, talk about kind of their uh, their motivation here. In the end of the movie, you find out that it is them all along. Uh, Skeet's character, her her boyfriend's character, uh, his mo- her mother cheated on her she mother. Broke up Skeet over over his family. family. Yeah, and she fucked his dad. Yeah, split up the family, and that's his motivation. And but essentially, it becomes this greater motivation where they are trying to be infamous, not famous. They're yeah. going to be infamous for this. They're going to stab each other and shit like that. Like, did, does that still uh, reign true today, or does it reign true even more today? I mean, I think so. It's like it was. This was a pre-internet world, and it was sort of, you know, before the ease of which celebrity. The word celebrity just is <clears throat> means such a different word now than it mm-hmm. did in twenty, just even ten years ago, let alone twenty. And yeah, it was they were chasing clout. You yeah, know? it was a, they, they were the, they were the OG clout chasers. Um, uh, Matt Lillard and, and Skeet Ulrich. Um, wow, turn that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's kind of the like. So like trolling ultimately doesn't get you anywhere yeah. thing like gets you like a little bit of attention yeah. for a while but like it's not anything it's like somebody said like if 
if social media was around during like the Waco shooting, like they like uh, what's his name, the, the Branch Davidian people would be like, "Hey, live on Periscope, shoot it out with the ATM." <laughs> like, that's what Jake Paul's going to be doing in like twenty years, or, like during the apocalypse and shit. Like, uh, whoa, apartheid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, I, I think yeah, it, it was sort of ahead of its time too, and in, in its cultural commentary of. Desensitization, desensitized to violence. Mm -hmm. Because that's what we were becoming. We were slowly becoming desensitized at that moment. Yeah, I mean, I was 10 years old watching, you know, teenagers. Cam was four. (laughs) (laughs) Cam was four watching teenagers die. I mean, it's why we're just, this nation is just so fucked up. Like, you show a pair of breasts and it's an R rated movie, but like, you can watch people get shot and stabbed and it's PG 13. But Scream was a hard R because it is that gory and graphic. But, uh, yeah, it was a comment comment on violence in, in this culture and also yeah, like celebrity culture, which mm-hmm. seems benign compared to now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it holds up. I think it holds up, and I think it's a better version of like a movie that probably has a better reputation, but I don't think deserves it. Is uh, Natural Born Killers? Yeah, movie, yeah. Which is, I mean, it's a fine movie, but I think Scream does a lot of the same things in a better way, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that Natural Killers, well, yeah. Stones, heavy-handed. <laughs> yes, bullshit. exactly. Wait, shout movie, out, shout out to Woody. Yeah, that movie's really about yeah, the, the, an ultra-violent culture. But um, um, I mean, but what? But this was a testament to West. I think it, it works as a mea culpa for the kind of uh, what's the word? Irredeemable violence of his '70s movies. Yeah, where this, where he was like, I'm trying to make a point with this. But a lot of the thing is though in this movie. More than half of the cast is female, and they all die. Yeah, and again, and, but that but that plays louder to him being self aware. It doesn't always work. I'm not trying to whitewash all of it, but like, look at Scream Two, where he knew what he's doing by killing the two only two black people in the very first movie. Yeah, the black people die first in horror movies. It's a it's a very known trope. But then, uh, uh, what's his face? ends up surviving at the end because he leaves because he does the one thing that black people don't do. Uh, I think his name Dwayne Martin. And, uh, and Scream Two. He's the cameraman. He he survives because he leaves. He does what most black people say they're gonna do in these movies. He gets the fuck out of there. Right. At the end, he shows up again. That's right. That's absolutely right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So like uh, Omar Epps and yeah, Jada Pinkett, the two huge stars at the time. Yeah. You know, again, it was it was a double commentary, killing the two big stars and also uh, leaning into winking at the audience. Like, shit, let's run to the sequels. Yeah. Fuck yeah, it. Let's do uh, it yeah. Scream, Scream Two. Uh, Jada Pinkett was kind of his. Uh, Jennifer Lee of that movie, she did a great job in the time she was given, just basically spouting off. I don't know if she even wrote this part, but like spouting off all of the, the things that are wrong with these movies. Yeah. Again, once again, winking at the camera, like eh, here we go. Yeah, yeah. She was like a, a, a miniature Jamie Kennedy, who's yeah. listing off like this is what these movies do, and we're gonna tell you what we do. We're yeah. gonna show you, but the prestige is still gonna hit because you know we're, we're gonna deconstruct it, but it's still gonna hit very hard. Uh, again, this movie has Sydney Prescott, who is now in college. She just was able to move on and yeah. <laughs> go right to college after this. That's a hell of an admissions essay after uh, <laughs> the events of Scream. Well, we forgot to mention about number one was the person who was sus- suspected of killing her mother, uh, Cotton Leary, mm-hmm. played by uh, Leif Schreiber. Boy, Leif Schreiber. Uh, he only shows up in through TV. And you don't actually see him. Yeah. He's he, a bigger presence in the sequel. Yes, mm-hmm. and he sort of become a celebrity in his own right because he was he's out of jail and he got, I think he wrote a book about he was wrongly accused. Wrongly accused, yeah, yeah. And so he becomes like prime suspect number one again, even though he's like actually like a he's a creep, but he's not a murderer. Um, 
he dies in three, right? He yeah, dies in three in the opening. opening. Three, I think. Well, we'll get to three in a second. But I don't, uh, I don't remember much after three. Two yeah. is two is pretty much uh, Sydney. It's, it's they're playing the hits. I don't think Scream Two is a bad movie. Scream Two is a long movie. Yeah, it's a horror movie should never be two hours. Is it two elephant. It. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. It's it's two. Uh, Two hours straight. But I, I say no horror movie should be should be two hours, and Hereditary broke two hours. And yeah, I but think for it's a, 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 a slasher, yes, should yeah, not thank be. You, thank you. Two hours. It should not be two hours. It, it's really long movie. The middle has so much fucking heft because they have to kill so many people. There are yeah. so many people in this movie that die, and it's like it's just not necessary. It's not necessary. I still think the meta stuff works in a way better way than three, which I feel is like the NBC version of a screen yeah, movie. Yeah. But uh, the, the killer in this movie ends up being Loomis's mother who yeah. got, uh, who had a reconstruction, reconstructive surgery. And there's a long, the third act in this movie is a long brother. <laughs> Fucking Courtney Cox's character gets shot. Uh, we didn't mention David Arquette's char- uh, Dewey character. Dewey. I love Dewey. He gets that's, fucking stabbed again. That's the, the best <laughs> aspect of every Scream movie is that Dewey lives. Yeah. Like he gets each fucked time, up. so fucked up. <laughs> that he gets, that he He's gets so cartoony okay. in this movie, yeah. and, or in all of them, and he makes it out again. Uh, of course, Courtney, Ar- Courtney uh, Cox Arquette at the time, and, and David Arquette, they were married at the time. Um, and then Randy dies in this movie. Uh, it ends up there's a really cool trope in this movie where they're they're just making sure that they die because last movie they got uh, when the killers got up and they had to shoot them yeah. they shoot both killers and they shoot the mother in the head and the movie ends double tap double tap there just in case they had to make sure and then Scream Three uh, is a really about Jim McCarthy the, in that one yes and he directed all of these right yes he directed Scream all of them the one where they are making the movie they're making the movie, the movie yeah, yeah yeah which is sort of a callback to New Nightmare yes. Uh, in a, in a very, very tenuous uh, way. This one didn't work because I feel as though this movie became the exact movie that... It became too smart for its own good. It became the movie that they were talking about. Yeah. That yeah. They were spoofing. Yeah. And I think that... I mean, the, the whole conceit here is that Sydney has a secret brother that she never knew. Yeah, which is such a, like, threequel thing. <laughs> it's like, like, we ran out of fucking ideas. Yeah. And it's like, no one, like, it's status quo toward the end, because no one important dies. And you think, because it's supposed to be the final movie, at the time it was portrayed as the final movie. Yeah. No, no one dies, you know? Like, no one important dies. Dewey's still alive. Uh, Nev is still alive at the, or I'm sorry, uh, Sydney's still alive at the end. And Gail Weather's still alive at the end. Patrick Dempsey's in this movie, which is like... <laughs> Parker Posey's in this movie. Queen. I'll never disrespect Parker. Uh Jeannie McCarthy, uh, Lee Shriver, who we mentioned earlier, they they pass they, you know, they all pass away in this movie. It's like they only really killed them because they knew they were gonna come back. Yeah. All uh, zeitgeisty people. All all zeitgeisty people. It didn't work. So the the series remains dormant. Actually, I know one thing I want to talk about. Creed, what if on this soundtrack? Remember that song? We should Which, play it. We should yeah. overlay it. Yeah, yeah, we should overlay yeah. it. Cre- Creed, what if? Creed was Slipknot and, and Static X all in the soundtrack. This is Holy shit. completely against type of what these yeah. movies were at the time. They became very new metal towards that time. You, f- you fast forward to 2011, Scream 4. Have any of you seen this? I have not seen Scream 4. Scream That's with four penitentiary, uh, right? Yes, and it's like there's like looking six, good. There's like six <laughs> fake openings. Yes, there are, there are a lot of fake openings. I haven't watched it, but like I've seen a lot of reassessments and people, I people who I genuinely trust about this stuff who are just as jaded as I am say, Scream Four might actually be better than two. 
Scream 4 is better than 2. And, it is and obviously a, 3. But like Scream 4 is a comment on over-sequelization. Yeah. And the kind of like more of – remember how we said in 1 it was, it was more about like how desensitized we are to violence? This is, how, this is about the generation of kids like Cam who came up knowing that like not, – not you in particular. But came up like looking at murder on TV and being like, okay, this is – This is entertainment. This is entertainment. Yeah. This, is, this is a story. I don't know if I want to spoil this for you. No, no, I mean, go, go ahead. I'll. So, um, Sydney returns, and she's lived, she's completely off the grid, so no one can find her. Uh, she has a cousin who's played by Emma Roberts, I believe, and her cousin ends up being, her and her friend end up being the killer in the movie. Oh, I, I, I know what happens. Yeah, yeah, so it, there's a really cool, I mean, the kills are violent. It's a really more violent than three was, and a little bit more violent than two was. But Three I, came I, out when? Oh, four? Oh, four. Did it come out before? I think it did come out in 04. So seven years. Seven years. Mm-hmm. I remember the big... No, okay, no Scream 3 came out in 2000. Yeah, Fuck, so 11 years. Wow, 11 years. I remember, the, I remember the big hubbub was like, there's going to be six of these. Like, there's like... Like, it's already been greenlit. And oh, like even six. George Lucas in it, like, yeah. there's another trilogy. Yeah, and there was supposed to be this, there was, I mean, this big event. But yeah, they, they, The way that this ended, there was no way that they could... Because there wouldn't have been Sydney in it, because this... It writes her character off at the end. But she lives. She lives. Uh, Dewey still lives. Yeah. Gail still lives. The, the Which main I, I respect it. I, I like that. You gotta have your you gotta have your your main uh, your main characters here surviving. But I really did one thing. I will, and you should definitely go yeah. check out four. It's I think it's really solid. I wouldn't put it over one. Obviously, I like the cast, and I think it works on the fact. That I think Emma Roberts is a really good actress. She's she really good does. in this movie. I think there's a lot of. The, but the thing is, the kills are way over the top. There's a scene where he's killing a girl. And uh, the blood is literally all over the. They're like room. Final Destination kills. It's crazy. Almost. It's it's insane. These kills in the, in this movie. But I really did enjoy Scream Four. Scream Four kind of got a big jump on, like the thing now, which is like this. It was eleven, so that was seven years ago. Yeah. Holy shit. Uh, this was Wes Craven's final movie. Yeah. Too by the way. Yeah. R.I.P. Wes. Uh, this was uh, kind of one of the first things that like. You know, now we have, you know, every, you know, fucking Murphy Brown yeah. is back on TV. Like, <laughs> oh, things coming back. Yeah. And like, Scream got a big jump on that. Yeah. Like, nostalgia. Like, I, even, nostalgia reboots. Even, the, even the nostalgia reboots that were, you know, both good and bad that ultimately kind of defined nostalgia reboots, which, yeah. you know, like, uh, you know, Jurassic Park and Star Wars and, and Will and, and Grace, and, Will and, Grace yeah. and Twin Peaks and all this stuff that, like, some of it was good, some of it was bad. But Wes really did get a big a big jump on that. And it's, it's pretty impressive, yeah. especially and, for, you know, it being as good of a sequel as you guys are saying. And him coming back around to the movie that, or the series that he started 11 years later after making the dreadful red eye and my soul to take. He made red eye. Red eye is yes. great. Red eye is not good. Red eye is amazing. I was hoping we were going to talk about red. Wow. Eye. I didn't, I, this is unexpected. I have to rewatch red eye. Killian Murphy. I like Mike Adams. A fun little, uh, bottle episode of a movie that, <laughs> finally gets out of the bottle but i like it because it, it again it, it's west playing with expectation where again i think a lot of these latter movies are mea culpas where it's like this could have easily been another you know rape revenge movie <laughs> yeah uh because richmond's adam's character off camera suffers a trauma and that sort of inspires her uh resilience to a to quote her a quote never again uh have this happen to her but she becomes the target of a uh international conspiracy to assassinate a, a senator 
and she's like six degrees separated from the senator, but she's targeted. And, and Is it on a plane? So, yeah. So 90 percent of the movie takes place on a plane. Then the like the last third is like in her apartment, in a hotel, a hotel, yeah. the, the hotel that she manages where that senator winds up staying. But like the the trailer for that movie made it seem like it was a monster movie. Yeah. It's like you're flying alone. This is back in 2005 where they were still like cheesy voiceover for trailers. Yeah. You're flying alone and you're in a plane. You never know who's sitting next to you. And it like zooms in on Killian Murphy and like his eye becomes red. Yeah. Like red eye. And I'm like, oh, is he like a demon or something? <laughs> no, he's like just a, a fucking like, you know, international like hitman. But I think that movie's really smart and sharp. And it just, yeah, it's this really self-contained uh, uh, little, little popcorn movie that Wes yeah, had no business making, but could have been, I mean, it's not the greatest movie, but it's fun for an hour and a half. And like, Brian Cox is in it. Yeah, yeah. clearly there are varying opinions on it, but I'm just yeah. kind of glad that somebody would make like a. I mean, I just like that people are making like basically B movies. Yeah, like in like the, you know, he made a boom a B movie uh, thirty like you know thirty years after his first original B movie. Yeah, yeah. And you know he could have made any movie he wanted to. Um, yeah, man, the guy, the guy, he's not uh, he's he's not pigeonholed into any sort of genre. No, not at all. And yeah, a little uh, bit like Sam Raimi. You guys didn't see uh, my soul to take. Mm-mm. I spent money on that. That was what's crazy. Yes. Who else is in that? I, uh, Max Thoreau from uh, he's he was in uh, he was in Bates Motel. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Denzel Whitaker, the black kid uh, who played in, who played the black kid in a lot of movies where they needed a black kid. Is in the movie too. <laughs> he's in the great debaters. He's in the great debaters. He is in the great debaters. Uh, they're all in it. Den- uh, Denai Guerrero, uh, who plays Tupac's mother. <laughs> She's in it too. She, I'm not going to mention Black Panther. Uh, it's a movie where all of these kids are, are like Frank this, Grillo's in. Yeah, like Frank all these Grillo. kids are the soul of a killer in this movie. It's it's dumb. It's stupid. Uh, but yeah. before we end off, the the Venom social media uh, <laughs> embargo has ended. Venom watch. Uh, we, we we always mention Venom in our podcast. Yeah, we love Venom. It's not looking good. <laughs> uh, not looking good chief. Venom is Catwoman level bad with Tom Hardy's worst performance since This Means War. Don't see the movie. People kind of like This Means War. Uh, significant chunks of Venom don't work at all, but there's some serious charm to the Eddie-Venom relationship. Not sure I had the intended reactions to some of the scenes, but fun is fun, even when it's totally ridiculous. It's too bad they didn't go for R. Can we talk about how Tom Hardy was doing a Daniel Craig level of I hate my movie promotion today by saying they cut out his favorite 40 minutes of the movie? (laughs) First off, you had four, they cut out 40 minutes and it's still as long as it is. And also, uh, you, that much of your favorite part was cut. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's one, that's one third of a movie. Is, Is Mike Ryan on Twitter? Is he like a joke Twitter guy? Mike Ryan? Yeah, Mike Ryan. His, his, his review was wild. I don't know if I know Mike Ryan. <laughs> he said he's fascinated with Venom. The cast seems to know all know they're in a darker superhero movie except Tom Hardy, who's basically remaking Jim Carrey's Liar Liar. Yeah, he writes he's... Uh, that kind of shit makes me want to see it. That yeah. makes me want to see it. That doesn't make me not... That doesn't dissuade me in he's, any way. He's the Up Rocks guy, so he... he oh, it's got to be right? What he's talking I kind of love watching this movie in a Rocky Horror type of way. At one point, Tom Hardy and Venom make out. So I'm totally saying this. I'm in. I, I fuck with Hardy, man. I I am in, uh, but well, yes. Why would we do that? We are. <laughs> that's my that's my voice. <laughs> that is our uh, that's our Wes Craven rundown for this this uh, week's episode of Late Fees. It's a good way to sum up um, the, the horror season. I mean, this guy, no, no matter how you chalk it up, and what you know his lat, his later films before he passed, he didn't make too many after two thousand five. But uh, the guy has 
you don't have modern horror without Wes Craven. Yeah. You don't have even the more niche tongue-in-cheek ones like Cabin in the Woods or Drag Me to Hell. Like, I know we're sort of bombarded by the either hyper-real hereditary level horror or like the found footage genre, which yeah. sort of dominates. But like he found that sweet spot of like your classic horror thrill, horror, horror slasher, but with like a sense of humor and uh, a sense of self-awareness that, you know, made it charming and easy to watch. But like the guy can shoot some kills, make shit really scary. I like to say that uh, Wes makes them for us. He makes them for the people that might be afraid of these movies, but there's still something that you can gather from them. Like yeah. Jason movies, they're popcorn, you know, like. Halloween movies, they, eh, you know, like they're they're not really like the greatest movies of all time. Wes actually makes you think, you yeah. know, like sometimes he'll make you think in these movies, and that's what I always appreciated him for because he always had a deeper understanding of what makes the audience tick. Yeah, I think so too. He was very into what 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 audience, how audience is watching the, the the concept of audience as a as a thing, not as like as a as a as a, not not something abstract. He understood right deeply, yeah. and like a great guy to watch grow as a filmmaker. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, rest in peace to Wes. We're of course keeping him. We're keeping Wes. Yeah, I mean, other, other than Last House, I think almost every one of these movies yeah, we talked about is, is worth checking out in some capacity or another. We're keeping Wes, and I'll take the late fees on that. Uh, real, real quick before we wrap it up. Speaking of Wes, our third co-host Wes uh, just texted me. And he wanted me to read a quick little note uh, about his feelings about Wes uh, Craven. Uh, he wanted to say so they do have the same name, yes. so take into account <laughs> the bias there. Yeah, uh, he wanted to say he wants to give my apologies for not being able to attend. Wes Craven is not a, is is a genius, and as rough as his early films can be, glimmers of that brilliance can be found in them all. He changed hard forever three times over. As good as Nightmare on Elm Street is, Scream is his masterpiece. Perfect, brutal filmmaking with a super smart script by Kevin Williamson. Changed the industry and many lives forever. Which, as horror fans, I don't think anyone would argue with that. No, not yeah. at all. It's uh, good to know that Wes, Wes, basically by saying that after this, he basically agreed with a lot of the stuff that we said. Yeah. I think so. Very yeah. good. Yeah, we, we are smart. Uh, we will be back with you in two weeks with a look at the Halloween series. It's sure to be one of our most in-depth uh, episodes yet. Uh, until next time, uh, you can catch us on the RNC Radio Network at RNC Radio Live on Twitter. You can catch us always on Spotify, Apple Music uh, for our playlist. Uh, and until next time, the video store is closed. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Peace.